0: When you read about the acts of the Apostle Paul, uh, this, this man was tremendous in his knowledge. He was tremendous in his understanding of of things pertaining to the Bible and things pertaining to Scripture. As a matter of fact, it was so tremendous that he was allowed a thorn in the flesh because of it, so that he would not become proud, so that he would not become haughty. And if any of us have ever started gaining any kind of knowledge in the Bible, you'll start to realize quick enough that it's very easy to get a little excited and puffed up, right? It's, it's, it's wonderful to know things about God, but there is a tendency to get a little puffed up. So because of it, Paul was allowed to have this thorn in the flesh. And so when we look at that, you see when he wrote to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, Paul writing to him, he said, When I came to you guys in Corinth, I didn't come with excellence of speech. I didn't come with persuasive words. I didn't come to try to just uh, stir your emotions or, or manipulate you with all kinds of words. But what I did is I came in the demonstration and in the power of the Spirit of God. Now, this was a clear indicator that he was according to the influence of the Holy Spirit of God, right? The, po- the prophet said, it's not by might, it's not by power, but it is by your spirit, by the spirit of God. And so we recognize that when Paul's doing it with same thing, when Jesus is doing it, it's all influenced by this power, this Holy Spirit, this driving force that's within them and, and within every single believer. But before he said that, he said, I made it my goal. This was my determination. This is the end that I came to. As a matter of fact, that was our first message that we preached when we opened up here. uh, this, This ministry, it was on 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And he said, I made a determination in my mind not to know anything else. I didn't want to concern myself with nothing else except for Jesus Christ and him crucified. And that should be the concern with every single believer. I want to know more about this God and I want to know about the crucifixion because the crucifixion talks about a lot. It talks about the fact that we are on our way to eternal damnation. We're born in that state. So because of it, there is a remedy, right? That's the atonement of Jesus Christ at the cross. But even when we receive that atonement, we still have the ability to go back and sin. And so all of these things begin to be an instrument to guide us in life, how to become uh, more pleasing to God, because we're not just trying to become better people. That's not the goal, because atheists can be good people. Agnostics can be good people, but we want to be better pleasing in the sight of God, because this good God saved me, then what the least that I can do is be a good um, imitator of who he is and what his word says. And so today, that's basically what, what we're going to see. Jesus, he's promised them, because think about this. Again, their final days, the time is just getting short. And he's about to go be crucified. And so imagine the grief in their hearts. I and mean, think if you've ever had a loved one, maybe on home hospice. And they're laying in the bed and you're seeing them slowly decaying, you know that the time is getting very short. But that person has some few words to say to you you're going to be listening attentively you're going to listen and i don't want to forget this and for me personally i can remember when my father was laying in hospice i remember every single word that he told me but when they're not in hospice we don't listen right it's like they they tell you don't do this or don't go, go there but they don't listen as a matter of fact we didn't listen to our parents most of us right But when it's that serious situation, they're going to listen. That's why every time that I do a funeral, I bring up the part in Ecclesiastes where Solomon said that it's better to be in the house of mourning than in in the house of feasting. Because in the house of feasting, everybody carries on. No big deal. Everything's good. Ha ha ha. But in the house of mourning, let me listen to what they have to say. Because I'm grieved and I need to hear something that's going to bring me some kind of hope. When you're in a house of feasting, you don't need hope. You don't even think about hope. Am I correct? No. Why do I need hope? I'm doing good. There's good food. There's good fellowship. And everything is just... Great, so I don't need that. So for that reason, it's better to be in the house of mourning. For that reason, it's critical to bring a great message that's going to penetrate into the soul into the heart of a person during the time of a funeral, because chances are there may not be another time where they're going to actually sit and ponder about things and think about them. So Paul said in the demonstration and in the power of the Spirit, Jesus is talking about that promise To his disciples. And so I'll go ahead and read the verses and we'll continue starting in verse 15 of John chapter 14. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, who the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you, and he will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you a little while longer, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me because I live, you will live also. At that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father." And I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone love me, he will keep my word. And my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Father, again, we ask that you, God, give us understanding and, and clarity. And Father, empower me to speak with a quickness according to your spirit, not according to my own intellect, God, that we can understand you more and understand this promise that you have given to us of the spirit of truth so that you may be glorified through it all and we may be comforted, Father, in the name of Jesus. Amen. So again, this promise of the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, another helper. I will pray the Father and He will give you another helper that He may abide with you forever. This is a, a different helper. This is what it actually means, completely, totally different. Not in a sense like us as far as having the same uh, desires that we would necessarily have. Remember, Jesus said that the Spirit always bears witness of not himself, but bears witness of the Christ. So the Holy Spirit doesn't even draw attention to himself, but he draws attention to Jesus Christ. He says this other type of helper. He's not like you. He's totally different. He's on the contrary, but I will pray the Father and he will give you this helper. Now, in other translations, it comes across as comforter or advocate. You're reading the the King James Version. Ours in the New King James says uh, another helper. But comforter and advocate, well, we know what a comforter does. It consoles, it, it, it helps us in time of need. And of course, an advocate, we know that an advocate is someone who publicly supports or recommends any particular cause. That sounds like the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit supports the cause of Jesus Christ, the cause of God, the cause of all of the word of God. So he is an advocate. It says, and and when I give him to you, he's going to abide with you forever. He's going to make that dwelling place, not for three months, not for six months, but forever. Now, remember, he's giving some, some words of encouragement to these disciples because their hearts starting to get heavy. I mean, we watch movies sometimes that you see two people who got close together and one of them has to depart and they're talking and and, and tears are manifesting because there's a sadness. I mean, this I mean, think of this. This was a deep time of sadness. Now, we have to understand we believe scripture. And so because of it, several thousand years ago, this truly took place. This literally took place. He is talking with his disciples. Now today, there is a celebration for the anniversary of Palm Sunday. Remember that a few chapters back, everybody's waving their palms. Hosanna in the highest. Uh, Glory be uh, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Remember, the city was in an uproar and he's riding on a donkey. And they're not seeing everything yet. But just like a week later, we're going to celebrate Resurrection Sunday Sunday. Uh, Next week, they said, crucify him. Give us Barabbas. Because it didn't come across. They're starting to see things. This isn't exactly what I expected. And we're not taking the opportunity to make uh, the whole service about Palm Sunday. We recognize it. It's celebrated. But for me, I will continue with, with the exposition right, of, of the Word of God, which we're doing right now. But he says this promise is going to be the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth. Now, John calls the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth on several occasions. The next chapter 15, he's going to do it. He's going to do it in chapter 16, the Spirit of truth. It says who the world cannot receive because they can't even see the Spirit of truth. But you can. We can now the spirit is the influence which guides and governs the soul of every one of us in here especially the disciples every person who breathes that is the the spirit now one might think well it's the emotions it's it's the heart it's the it's the emotions no it's the spirit that that is interconnected to those now i can't explain exactly how it is those things belong to god but without the spirit then there cannot be anything else particularly after that. Allow our spirit to be gone and we'll cease to exist. That's exactly what happens to a person when they take their last breath. The spirit is gone. It's not their soul that's gone. I mean, it, per se, it's not uh, active anymore, but it's the spirit that departs. The spirit of truth. Now, we know that truth means uh, what is true in any matter or any consideration. We've talked before that the word of God stands person could say, yes, uh, it's this way, or there's another way to come to salvation. Well, I mean, that's what you could say, but the truth still stands that there's only one way. John 14, 6, we saw it. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but through me. You can think you can go another way, but you're going to be wrongly mistaken and deceived in the last day. It's not going to happen. So the Spirit of Truth... It's going to it's going to, it's going to be with you. It's going to make things known and revealed. They're no longer going to be hidden. This is one of the this is one of the signs of of a believer when they come to the Lord is because now I understand the things of God. I didn't used to understand them. I'd read the Bible and they were just like so just I was just reading. I didn't know where to start, where to end, where to begin. I had no you know, understanding of the analogies, the types, the shadows. But the spirit of truth, when we receive him, starts to show us, starts to remove that veil, remove those scales. And now a believer can see. And of course, this includes every single thing that Jesus had told him. And not only from his time in ministry, but from the very beginning of time from Genesis. But of course, Jesus, what he ministered to his disciples, what he did was just fulfilling Everything that was in the Old Testament. This spirit of truth. We need him. Especially in the day and age that we live in right now. They needed it back then. We still need it today. Now there's a sort of haughtiness. That has come upon our world. That they think they know it all. Because we can send people to the moon. And and we're almost going to send them to Mars. And we can build things. That can do things that no man can do. But they seem to forget that they can't do things that God can do. I mean, it doesn't matter if you can build a big, huge city, but you can't convert the soul of a man. Those things belong to God. And so that's the things that that make important. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 6, John, the apostle John writing, he said, We are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know that the Spirit of truth, and the spirit of error. And I've talked about this a lot. The person who understands these things, he says, he who doesn't hear us and he who does hear us. It doesn't mean that you're just hearing, right? Like our kids listening and hearing. It means you're you're taking a full understanding. You, You take it in and you also apply it. He who doesn't, then he's not of God. He doesn't know God, but he who does, he is. He says, that's how you can discern between the spirit of truth and the spirit of error, the things that are correct and the things that aren't. That's when you hear people in Christianity that talk about things that are not biblical. You recognize it as a spirit of error. That's not biblical. Or you recognize it as a spirit of truth. Those things, they hold weight, they hold value. And he says, the world doesn't have the ability to understand and grasp this with the mind. They don't. Paul, again, writing to the church in Corinth said those those things don't come by human wisdom. They come by the wisdom of God. Now, the wisdom of God is considered foolishness by the world. That's that's why do you even want to do that? That's dumb. It doesn't make any sense. Why do you want to go to church? Why do you go to so much Bible study? Why do you go to prayer? Why do you do these things? It's foolishness to them. But to us who are being saved, we know that it is life I mean after all how can a person understand that which is unseen and known, unknown, right? How? I mean people get mesmerized with ghosts. I don't see a ghost and but but I heard something move. See, it's easier people believe more in a ghost or a haunted house than they would believe in the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of God. And they, how do you know that they believe it in it more? Because the hairs on their body stand up. Because they get scared. Because they'll turn on the lights. Because they'll do so many things. Because they believe that that, whatever I heard, whatever moved, it's, it's evil. It's not right. I mean, last week when we were here, we clearly heard the bongo pop, right, brother? I mean, we didn't jump into each other's arms and, and and run, no. Why? Because we know the spirit of truth. As a matter of fact, my response was, if it's a demon, go ahead and have a seat and get ready to learn with us. Because there is, we, we have to understand that. Now, when it comes to the things of God, the world can't understand it, and there comes a point where we didn't. But when you understand the spirit of God, we don't see it. Jesus said, the wind goes where it blows wherever it wishes. We don't see it. We don't understand where it's coming from or where it's going, but we see the effects of it. And that's exactly what the Holy Spirit does in the life of a believer the effects of that Spirit, God's Holy Spirit, in our life. That's why they go to church. That's why they go to Bible study. That's why they want to learn more about that. And that's why it seems like that's more important to them than a career or. This or that or the other because there's a hunger because they have received, they've seen there is no longer a veil. Now, it's important to consider these things because we're talking about the Holy Spirit of God. And we're living in a day and an age where the Holy Spirit of God is the, the teaching of the Holy Spirit of God is under fire. It's under fire because it is wrongly misunderstood in many different areas. You've got one side over here who totally denies the work of the Holy Spirit completely. And it resembles what I would just in plain vocabulary say, it resembles a cemetery. It resembles a cemetery. There's no joy. There's no, there's no excitement. There is nothing. There's worship, there's not not an excitement in the heart, there's the reading of the Word of God, there's not an excitement of heart. But then you have another side that just makes it appear like a carnival. Now, both sides are wrong. I mean, if you understand the Holy Spirit of God, if you understand His attributes, then you know that God is supernatural. The Holy Spirit of God works. And so when we know that, then we start to understand him more. Because everything we need to be equipped with, we will not be able to do it without the Holy Spirit of God. Now you have to understand this side who doesn't want to do too much about the Holy Spirit. Because they're afraid of what they've seen over here. And they don't want to go that way. That is what I call overcorrection. Now, this side doesn't want to look dead like this side. So they go over and beyond and they've overcorrected. But the spirit of God moves. God is supernatural. God is not a human being. And so right off the bat, then we know that he is spiritual. And so this is a, a, a part that we need to understand. Jesus said, you know him. Why? Because he dwells with you and he will be in you. Now, today, we're not going to focus on the working of the Holy Spirit. But we're going to try to understand a little bit more of the Holy Spirit because it is vital that we understand. Because the Scripture speaks of it. So if Scripture speaks of it, then we must speak of it, right? Not speak more because there's other areas that Scripture doesn't talk about that we don't, that we want to talk about. For example, does somebody go to hell if they commit suicide? People make big discussions and there's nothing wrong with discussing. The Bible's not clear on that. How about a greater one? Where does an infant go before the age of of accountability if they die? Can somebody lead me to a scripture? Because the Bible is silent in that area. Now, there's some scriptures that we can say maybe by this one, but to build a whole theology and say this is what's going to happen to children. The Bible is silent. So in that case, we should probably remain silent. And this is an area where we have to just trust God and believe in him and know that he's just and and right. And everything he does, he's going to do it for a good reason. But when it comes to the Holy Spirit, the Bible speaks much about the Holy Spirit. So there's three tenses that I want to share with you this morning that that the Bible speaks of the Holy Spirit. There's three tenses in the Greek. It says that the Holy Spirit is going to be with you. Jesus used two of them, and he's going to be be in you. Then there's another tense that says the Holy Spirit is going to be upon you. Or this would be what's called being filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Okay, the Greek word para, Jesus said it. He's, He's with you. You know him. He's with you. He's para. It means he is there. He's among you. He is in your midst. He's for you, but then he is going to be an, e-n, in, E-N, you. That means he's going to be inside of you, with you, not just among you, but in you. Then there is the Greek preposition epi, which means he is going to be upon you. What does that look like? It doesn't look like what you see at the hyper-Pentecostal churches. But what it looks like is when you see the Spirit fall upon Samson and, 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 he, and he broke the chains loose and, and knocked down the pillar to the temple. When the Spirit of God came upon David, when he would play his harp and dance and, and he would uh, fight Goliath. Even the Spirit of God would come upon people and they would begin to prophesy. King Saul. Okay, these are things that we, we shouldn't be afraid of. We should embrace them and want to know more about them. How can, I, how, how can I understand this and partake in it, but without overcorrecting and going to the other side? Again, next week we will see, or in chapter 16, we'll see the working of the Holy Spirit because this is a promise that was given to us. It's a, it's a driving force. It's a driving power. It, it makes It enables us. When Jesus said, the world can't receive them, the Greek says, they don't have the power because it belongs to me. In Acts chapter 11, verses 15 and 16, this is Peter giving a a message about when the Lord sent him to go preach to the Gentiles. Remember, they were only supposed to go to the Jews. And he saw a vision as he was laying on the on the roof and he saw a vision of a net and a bunch of uh, four-footed animals and creeping things. And he heard the Spirit of the Lord tell him, rise up and eat. And he said, not, not so, Lord. I've never eaten anything unclean. And basically what that meant was, now you can go to that which you consider unclean. That's the Gentiles. Go to them. I'm going to give them salvation because my people, they don't want to receive it. So it says in verse 15, and as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them. Okay, this is that preposition, epi, it fell upon them. As upon at us at the beginning, referring to Acts chapter 2. Then I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with the water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And he says, in just a small amount of time, the world's not going to see me anymore. But you will see me. And because I live. You're also going to live. Now this doesn't just mean like. Life in general. But it means you're going to have this life inside of you. You're going to have this. This life and life in abundance. You're going to be living. You're going to be active. You're going to be blessed. You're going to be full of joy. Not like the world. They can't receive it. You know like the individuals you see that have a. Big bank account and a big home and nice cars, but there's no joy. There's no joy. But in return, we can have a depleted bank account and a small home that needs all kinds of repairs. Maybe the roof is leaking and and so many other things. And our car, it's it, it needs repairs. But praise God, I'm full of joy inside. That's what happens with a believer because that is the power of the Holy Spirit that's what drives us that's what keeps us content we live because he lived and I belong to him I'm grafted into that tree so now my life is vivid now I'm full of joy I'm full of peace I'm full of all of these things and that's what Jesus is telling the disciples he told them earlier do not be troubled you believe in God believe also in me In my father's house, there are many mansions, correct? You're going to have true life. You're not going to be lifeless. You will have this living water that he says, he who believes upon me, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Water is refreshing. We don't run to a soda. We don't run to anything else. We don't run for a Starbucks when we're thirsty. When we're outside, we run for water and it quenches our thirst. It's the same thing in the spiritual realm we quench for the spirit of God. He said, that's when you know that I'm in my father and you in me and I in you. That's when you're going to understand these things. Now he gives them these conditions. He says, he that has my commandments. And he keeps them. My father will love him. It means that one that's closely joined to my commandments, to those things that I that I've required of him, my precepts, my statutes, all those things. He who has them, if you obtain them, my father's going to love them. But when he keeps them, now I've talked about this Greek word before to keep, it means to observe them. The Greek word is tereo, where we get our Spanish word for homework. Okay, you study it. You, you, you. Well, that's what we do when we do our homework. We're learning deeper so that I can be ready for a test. So that I can be ready for a situation. We study the Word of God. We remember the Word of God. That's why we're okay. That's why preachers make a big deal about people reading their word of God. That's why they make a big deal about spending time alone with God so that we can meditate and be prepared because we're doing our homework so that we can understand when things begin to arise, how to react to them, how everything is going to come to play. And what else does it do? It makes us well acquainted. Isn't that what happens when we do our homework? I mean, there comes a point where we don't know how to add or subtract when we're small. We do our homework and then guess what? I can do it on my head now. I don't have to do it on a piece of paper. And you come to a point of maturity following God. And I'm not talking about calling out verses. I'm not talking about calling out particular translations, but I know what the Bible says. That's the most important thing. That's what God wants us to do. He said, that person who does that, that's the one that loves me. That's the one that my father will love and I will love them. And you start seeing this intertwining of the triune being of God, the spirit. He says, we and the spirit of God, God, the father, God, the son and God, the spirit. He says, and then I'll manifest myself to them. I'll make myself seen. And it doesn't just mean physically seen, but you'll see in the spiritual realm. Oh, amazing grace. I was blind, but now I see. It means to appear. I'll appear. I'll exhibit myself. It's where we get our word, the word that's used for emphasize. When something is emphasized, it means to give special attention to a particular thing. So he starts to give his attention to us. We start to give ours to him. And we start to become relational. Now I know this God. Because that's what's required of us. Not to have this general knowledge. Not to just have a head knowledge. But to have this intimate. This gnosko. This personal relationship. With this God. And of course Judas told him. How is that even possible? How is that possible for you to manifest?" Fest yourself to them or to us, but not to them. I mean, how are you going to distinguish the two again by the spirit of God? That's how it's going to happen. He says, if any man love me, he will keep my words. Now, he doesn't say my commandments. He says, you're going to keep my words, everything, not just the commandments, because today there is a there is a people who just want to observe commandments and they just want to observe rules and That's not necessarily what God is just trying to do as well. The rules, as a matter of fact, that's what they were doing in the Old Testament. That was their error. They were trying to obtain salvation that way. Now, all those commandments serve as guardrails for you and I to do us well, to serve us well. Not for any other reason. But every word that comes out of the mouth of God, that's what Jesus told Satan when he tried to tempt them. He says, man shall not live by bread alone, but every single word that comes out of the mouth of God. Now, we've talked about on Wednesdays that every single thing in here is God breathed. Everything that comes from it. So every word matters, even the crossing of the T's and the dotting of the I's. When you understand that in the Hebrew, there is a lot behind it. When we do that, my father will love them and we will come to him. And he says, we're going to make our home with him. Now, this is the same word for mansion. Remember, in my father's house, there's many mansions. We're going to make our home with him. It means to make something out of nothing. As a matter of fact, we are nothing. But then when the Lord comes, we are something. Why? We are the righteousness of Christ. That's what the Bible says. The words which you hear, they're not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Now, this is like a reminder. These aren't even necessarily mine, but they're the words of the Father who sent me. It means that he was sent with a purpose. Okay, this, word, this, this is the, the job of, of an apostle. It means the sent one, and there is a purpose. When they send them, there was a job of the prophets. They were sent, the sent ones. The false prophets, Jesus said, I didn't send them, but though they run and they go, I didn't give them a word, but though they speak. So if there's a purpose that God sends someone for, then obviously that there's the opposing of that intention of that purpose would be neglect. Are you following me? There would be neglect if this purpose, if we're not grasping it as sons and daughters of God. Now in the book of Lamentations, because I think that this sheds a whole lot of life on, or a lot of light on this topic of the Comforter, the Holy Spirit. Because God said, these words aren't mine, but the Father who sent me. He wants us to keep his commandments. He wants us to observe them. He wants us to, he wants us to prosper, of course, in life, but he's not more concerned that we prosper. He's more concerned that we keep his words. But I take you back to the book of Lamentations. It's an epistle that's not very much read, but it's actually a very interesting. It's a very somber, very somber epistle. As a matter of fact, the the root word from it, lament. That's what it means to weep and to cry. Now, I personally believe the prophet Jeremiah wrote this, but you have to see the heart of this prophet. Now, when you read the book of Jeremiah, people come across with the understanding. I mean, that that guy was a jerk. That guy was too harsh. That guy was not loving. That guy was too condemning. But all he was doing was speaking the word of God. He was trying to get the people of God to start to think rightly about God. Come back to the Lord. Because they were straying away from God. But these false prophets, oh, the message that they had, that tastes nicer in my mouth. That's more palatable. So let me listen to that. But the warning was, come back to God or there's going to be a price to pay. There's going to be a judgment. Now, God is a God of justice, and he waits, and he waits, and he waits. Well, finally, the judgment came, Jeremiah 29, 11, the scripture we talk about. When you read on a little bit further down, he gives them the, the judgment, and he declares it, 70 years, you're going to be taken captive by your enemy. I'm allowing this. The Babylonians are going to come. They're going to plunder you. They're going to take away your, your, your men, uh, mighty men. They're going to take away your priests. They're going to take away all of your holy relics everything so get used to it this is going to happen well this same prophet who preached judgment and he preached repentance that people didn't like very well they tried to kill him you start to see the real heart of this prophet and you start to realize this man he he wasn't he wasn't a jerk he wasn't preaching harsh when you start to read what he read about or what he wrote about in Lamentations, you start to see the real heart of a true man of God, of a true person who loves God, and that was for people. And he begins to cry out and say, God, how long are you going to do this? I mean, I myself have been taken captive and have mercy on your people, God. I mean, read Lamentations. We're not going to get all into it, but I will read some. But in in chapter 1, verse 2, Talking about Israel, he says, she weeps bitterly in the night. Her tears are on her cheeks. Among her, all her lovers, she has none to comfort her. None. None comfort her. None console her. What about the lovers? What about the people who pull me away from God and said, no, let's go do this instead of God. And and I chase after all these other things instead of God. Where are they now? They can't comfort me. And this is what's happening to Israel among all her lovers. And that was the thing, spiritual adultery. That's why he would call them a harlot. That's why the King James uses the terminology of whoredom. That's what you're doing with other idols. You're following after them rather than me. But she has no one to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They have become her enemies. In verse 9, It says her uncleanness is in her skirts. She did not consider her destiny. Therefore, her collapse was awesome. She had no comforter. Oh Lord, behold my affliction for the enemy is exalted. God, I'm afflicted to see what is happening to this people. And the enemy is the one who's being exalted for it. God, to see all of this, God. Now, keep in mind, he's weeping while he is saying all of these things. In verse 16, he says, For these things I weep. My eye, my eye overflows with water because the comforter who should restore my life is far from me. My children are desolate because the enemy prevailed. Zion spreads out her hands, but no one comforts her. The Lord has commanded concerning Jacob that those around him become his adversaries. Jerusalem has become an unclean thing among them. Zion spreads out her hands. The things of God, they spread out their hands, but nobody comforts. Have you ever been there? And in verse 21, he says, They have heard that I sigh, but no one comforts me. All my enemies have heard of my trouble. They are glad that you have done it. Bring on the day you have announced. That they may become like me. It was bad in the land. It was really bad. And at this time. The king released them. And let them go back to Jerusalem. So that they could start to worship God. And to rebuild. Hence comes Nehemiah and Ezra. And they're rebuilding the walls. But the sad part about it. The sad part about it is that the majority, the majority of all these Israelites who claimed to love God, who hurt at the beginning of this judgment, they got so used to living in Egypt in captivity that they never, they didn't want to come back anymore. They just decided to stay over there. So the people who did come, okay, the people who did come, they're rebuilding the wall. There's a, there's a famine in the land. There's, there's grief and shame. I mean, imagine the shame. Imagine if, if, if your father disowned you and you're just out there. Imagine the shame that you would feel and the grief. And at the same time, they're thinking, I, I, we did this to ourselves. This was a, a proclamation from God. And we're not prone to always think like that. We're always prone to just blame God or we're just blame the devil. It's a lot easier. But this was an act of God that he allowed to come upon them in their life. They were hungry, they were thirsty, the children were hungry and starving, and they were dying of starvation. Okay, the kids were dying of starvation. We love our kids. And when a child would die, then now I have to make a decision. I can die with them as well, or we can eat our children, and at least we'll be able to make it through. This is the severity of what happened. This is the severity of what God allowed to happen because they didn't keep his word. They didn't take heed to his word. It's important for us to consider that in our hearts because God is a God of justice. I mean, I I can only imagine how difficult it would be. And I know our first word would probably say, I'm never going to do that with my kid. I'll die. Well, get in that position and go through it. And then you can give an answer because sometimes it's easier for us to say rather than to do. I've never been close to even starving, but we say we're starving. We're not even close to it. But imagine, and where's God? God left me desolate. Where are you, God? So Jeremiah is up there crying and saying, God, you can't leave these people like this. You need to come. You need to comfort them and you need to help them, God. I didn't want to just preach a message of judgment, but these are your people. And so he's interceding, he's praying for their comfort and their consolement. And in chapter three, you start to see that they finally start calling out to God through all of this suffering and they start seeking God. And they come to a point and realize that if God is consistent enough to bring about his justice upon the evil of human mankind, then he's got to be justice enough to fulfill his promise and not let evil have the last word. There's promises that we have in, Bi- in the Bible. So it began to give them a little bit of encouragement. And then they moved on to a point of examination. How did I get here? How did I get to this point? And you start to realize I, 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 it, it was my own doing. God sent this person, God sent this woman, God spoke to me in a dream, God spoke to me directly through his word, and I still didn't give it any heed. But Jeremiah wept. There was no comfort, there was no hope for them. There was no hope for them. And as a matter of fact, the book of Lamentations ends, and there's still not necessarily a hope. Now, many say that Jeremiah in this epistle was a type of Christ, the way he's pleading, because that's the same thing that Jesus did with Jerusalem. Jerusalem, how long have I I longed to gather you like a hen gathers his chicks? He was weeping when he said that. He was weeping when he called out Lazarus. He, He wanted the people to come to him. Listen to me, understand me. Take my yoke upon you for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. But they still enjoyed what they were doing because there comes a point where we get used to being in our misery. We get satisfied. We get calloused. And it's OK. You want a good example? Start swinging a hole around and chopping weeds. It's going to be uncomfortable at first. But after a while, you don't feel anything anymore. And that's what happens when we reject the word of God, when we quench the spirit of God. At first, it's going to hurt us some. It's going to prick us. But then after a while, It doesn't matter to us no more. But Jesus said something in verse 18 to his disciples. He said, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. I won't leave you orphans. The King James says, I won't leave you comfortless. Now we know what an orphan is? An orphan is someone that doesn't have a father, doesn't have a mother. They have no home. They roam around from place to place and imagine how those orphans must feel inside. The shame and the guilt. I see that person with their mother or father. I see that one over there with their mother or father. I have no one. Imagine the guilt and the shame. Some of us might understand how that feels like. We might have gone through that. So imagine how they feel. He said, I will not leave you as orphans. This is the promise that he's giving to the disciples now, because the disciples, they might come to this thought pattern. When Jesus is is gone, they might think, well, God left us the way he left him back then. And they might have the tendency to fall back into that same mindset. But he said, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. As a matter of fact, in Lamentations chapter 5, verse 3, he said, we've become orphans and waifs. Our mothers are like widows. They felt like they were orphans. Now, see how they didn't take heed to the message when Jeremiah was trying to come at the beginning but it was after the point of judgment that they came now they received a judgment from God and that's not to say that that we cannot receive a judgment but see the greater judgment Jesus took that judgment at the cross and there's a difference between those believers and our believers when it comes to this issue of the Holy Spirit because They didn't have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit would come upon them, but they didn't have the Holy Spirit inside of them. It was times that the Spirit would come upon them. You and I as believers, when we come to the Lord Jesus Christ, when we're regenerated and reborn, the Spirit comes to reside inside. And what happens now? He has made a home. Have you ever heard uh, the, the phrase that a house is not a home? There's a difference, right? If we have a wonderful, loving family, we know that without those loved ones, it's just a house. It's just a house. It has items inside, but there's no true love. There is no uh, understanding. There is no, no guidance. There's nothing there. There's not a home. There's not a home until there is completeness and maturity there. That's when it becomes a home. And that's what Jesus is saying I will come in and I will make a home with you, not a house. Not something that's just formal that looks nice and, and, and yeah, I see you have things inside and the grass is green. No, a home that inside is vibrant. There is life inside. And that's the promise that he's giving to these disciples. And that's the promise that still stands for you and I because sometimes, let's be honest, we feel, God, where are you? You've abandoned me. Maybe we've never had the thought, I'm an orphan, but. We feel like what an orphan would feel like. Where is God? Now, I feel guilt. I feel shame, maybe because of something that we've done. But nevertheless, see, this is the importance now of having the Holy Spirit because it's the spirit of truth. And that spirit of truth says, no, don't go down that path. Don't do that. Don't say that. And instead, we come forth in the demonstration and in the power of the Holy Spirit of God. He said, I will come to you. I won't leave you comfortless. Now, this doesn't mean the superficial comfort that we know in the world. Oh, it feels nice. It's, it's nice and cool in here. Everything feels good. This is not what he's talking about. He's Talking about comfort inside of your soul that you know, that you know, that you know, that no matter what is happening in life, I am good. Yes, I just, loved, I just lost a dear loved one. Yes, I'm weeping, but I'm okay because... There's a home inside of my heart. Yes, I lost something that I really care about. Yes, all these things that affect us, but I am okay. I'm not shook. I am established on the foundation of Jesus Christ. He makes that home with us. Therefore, there's less of an excuse for us. We have that power. But we also have the choice whether we want to just reject what it is that he's trying to tell us. Where it is that he's trying to guide us. Everything in the word of God, it's it's not there to hurt us. It's not there to do us wrong. It's not there to make us feel unhappy like I can't do things that I would just enjoy. He said, I came to give life and life in abundance. And the person who's truly tasted of God, the person who says, "I, I have God in here. You're not, miss, you're not lacking anything. I have all that I need. And you're also equipped with everything that you need to do what God would expect of you, to be pleasing to Him. It's the spirit of truth that says, don't think this way about a certain individual. Think rightly. You don't have to respond. Don't repay evil for evil, but do good. And that especially comes with the people of the household of faith our believers, our own brothers and sisters. We can't deny the truth that we're not alone as believers because Satan's going to come and he's going to use every single opportunity and he's going to make us feel comfortless, not outside. See, I'm a person, me personally, I can handle any kind of exterior pain. I can handle physical pain. That's just something that God's given to me, but I can't handle emotional pain. I can't. I can't. I cannot. I'll fold quickly. That's how the enemy had a hold on me when it came to depression. I cannot. I can't do that. But see, when the Lord comes and he makes his home. Then you become unloosed. The chains are broken. And now you can stand. Now, of course, now I weep and I can relate so much to Jeremiah because I I weep a lot. Sometimes I wish I wouldn't. But it's the heart of somebody who's known God. Because when the Holy Spirit of God resides inside of us, guess what? People know this. They see it. They see the joy. We're not angry no more. There's just something different inside. Sometimes you can't even explain it. You don't even have to tell people I'm a Christian and I love God. It's just something that is noticeable. There was something about this individual. That's the spirit of truth that the world doesn't see and they can't receive. Do we have the joy? We have this promise. That's why we continue to follow after God. And we learn more and more. God wants us to keep his word, to observe it, to do our homework. He said in Luke chapter six, verse 46, why do you call me Lord, Lord? But you don't do the things that I say. Why? And then he goes on to say to those who do. Perform my word, I will liken them to a wise man who built his house on a solid foundation. The winds came, they blew, but yet that house stood firm because it was built on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ. But the fool, he built it on sand and the winds came and they blew and the house fell. As a matter of fact, oh, how great was its fall. Those are the things that come about us in Acts chapter 20. Paul talking about Paul again. Before he left, he's talking with the elders at Ephesus. He said, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. I haven't drawn back to tell you every single part of the word of God. Therefore, take heed to yourselves to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. To shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. Was Paul trying to be a killjoy? He's trying to warn them because he cared for their souls. I don't want you to go down the same path because we can can go down the same path of the believers even with the Holy Spirit. We can make these wrong choices. You don't believe so? Look at King David. We can make these wrong decisions. That's why it's important to make sure that we don't shun back, that we don't draw back from none of Scripture. Yes, talking about the Holy Spirit. Yes, talking about the things that matter. All this we do while waiting for for the return of Jesus Christ. Now people say, well, where is he? he? I haven't seen him. He hasn't shown up. And they look at us and they think that we're helpless. They think that we're comfortless. But inside it's like, no, 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 I have all the comfort that I need. But what about you? And just talk to him for a bit and tears will start to come out of their eyes because he, yeah, I knew there's not really any happiness inside. Now it doesn't give us any joy, right? We, we, we get sad because why come just listen, follow the message of the gospel, why do you deny it? How long are you going to waver between two opinions? That follow ground needs to be broken up with the word of God. And that's what the prophetic voice does. Says repent and turn back to God. Break up that hard ground so that the seed of God's word can be planted. And the spirit comes and water it. Then behold there is life. There's life springing forth. And with that life, there is a hope, right? And with that hope, there is a promise that I'm not going to leave you comfortless. I'm not going to leave you as an orphan. You have a father. No, you can't see him, but you have to know in your heart that you have a father. His name is Jesus Christ. See, he loved us. Even when we were still sinners. Romans 5 tells us. We didn't know him as father, and he came and he died for us so that we would pursue after him, so that we would see that demonstration of love. And how can you reject that demonstration of love? I mean, women get treated spitefully by men, and they abuse them physically and emotionally, but they still follow after them. Men get cheated on by women, but men still follow after them. Why do you follow after that love that's superficial? Why don't you follow after the love that is eternal and it never perishes? It doesn't grow old or weary. It doesn't get tired. That's the love that we want to follow against. None of us are perfect. None of us knows every single thing, but we're learning. We're growing in the grace of God. We're growing in the knowledge of God. But to do that, we need to know that I have God's Spirit with me. Now, God's Spirit resides with the believer. And He manifests Himself to us. He shows us, son, daughter, I'm right here. He manifests Himself to us through His Word. I'm right here. Don't feel alone. Because we do get tired and weary. I know I do. I'm not going to lie. We all do. But it's the Spirit of God that refreshes us. It refreshes us. And we remember that hope. I believe in God. I believe in Christ also. If it were not true, he wouldn't have said so. He's gone to prepare a place for you and for me and those who belong to Christ. But we don't have to wait until we get that key to that eternal home. Because right now he's made a home inside of our hearts and he resides there. And every single believer. So let that serve as a reminder this morning, that we are not comfortless as Christians. He says, I will come to you. I'll make my home with you. All you have to do is observe me, follow after me, seek after me. And that's a joy that would ring in the heart of every believer. God would love me like that. Even though I just failed him this morning. Yeah. He's a merciful God. And that's when we begin to cry and say, God, I don't want you to just be with me or among me, but come upon me, God. Fill me with your Holy Spirit, God. If I have to call into work tomorrow because I'm weeping in your presence, then God, let me call in and weep in your presence. Don't let me quench your spirit, God, because you are worthy. Don't ever forget that promise as Christians, because we do get tired and we do get weary, but God comforts the weary. And it renews our strength. Let's stand and let's pray. Father, if there's something that we can leave with this morning, is your promise, God. We see the promise given to the believers. The promise that says, I'm not going to leave you or forsake you, I'm not going to leave you comfortless. No, that doesn't mean free from trials and afflictions, but that means in the deepest core of our hearts, there will be a joy that no matter what comes against us, God, you'll always lead us in the right direction. That was the promise to them, and that's the promise to us. Yes, they were weary because in a short amount of time, they were going to be without you, God. We didn't experience that. We're waiting upon you to come, but while we're waiting, when the enemy comes and tries to sow tears in our hearts, God, may you uproot them. May you give us the strength to uproot them, God, to pluck them out. Help us in our weariness, God. Help us to remember your promise, the spirit of truth, to never make less of it, Lord. You teach us. You teach us your ways, God, not the ways of a man, so that our lives will come forth in the demonstration and in the power of your spirit, Father. Until then, God, we wait upon you. Have your way, Father. In the name of Jesus. Amen.